Are we recording? We're, we're recording. The red light is flashing. I, did you press the button? No, I didn't. Did you press I did, the button? I don't remember pressing the button. It must have been the invisible hand. The, the invisible, the, what's, what's the invisible hand? Well, it's uh, the foundation of macroeconomic theory is the invisible hand, Adam Smith. We're going to get into that today with uh, macroeconomics. We're going well. to be, we're and going I, I think you must also have pressed this button. Oh, well, we're going to be talking about macroeconomics. Macroeconomics is the thing today on this show, which is called A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. And you out there who's listening should be subscribing to this. Uh, either you or your invisible hand should press the button on your uh, iPhone or whatever other phone you happen to be listening to and subscribe to this podcast and, and our other podcast. Future Europe. Future Europe is our new podcast. Uh, it will cover 28 countries in the next 28 weeks or so, uh, and it will talk about the future of Europe. So if you want to find out what the future of Europe is, and if you're a European, you really should try and find out, then subscribe to Future Europe from the European Investment Bank. This week on a Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, macroeconomics. It's about time we did this, isn't it, Allah? It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. We've, we're, what are we, 50 episodes in? We've been talking about economics and all that stuff, and now we get to macroeconomics. It's good that we've got an expert on macroeconomics here, Rosalia Pal, who is an economist at the economics department here at the European Investment Bank. And like all macroeconomists, uh, I think that they're known for their love of children, isn't that? That's pretty much what people know about macroeconomists. That's something that you share? <laughs> exactly. So I think um, uh, the way we, we get also in macroeconomics, uh, the human uh, part, labor, is, is getting in in the formulas, but I think it's part of our life. And uh, we are in the middle of the of the formula, and uh, the human uh, capital is uh, the most important. Your and role in human capital has <laughs> been to baptize children, right? Exactly. So, so I, what, what? Tell us about baptizing children uh, before you get to um, uh, gross domestic product and things like that. How do you baptize I, children? Exactly. I'm I'm very lucky because I was asked and proudly uh, accepted to be. Uh, uh, nine times uh, a godmother. So basically, I can follow the development of uh, of nine uh, wonderful kids. What what kind of obligations does that bring? What what do you have to do if you're a godmother? So basically, um, beside the ceremony that I'm taking part and um, helping the family to to have this important event. Um, it is something like um, being there, supporting, and especially for uh, special cases, uh, to be there and help. So this is my definition. And uh, some, in some cases, help is not that much needed uh, because parents definitely do their job. In some cases, is more to do, and this is in particular is uh, one of my uh, kids in, that I baptized that is in a children's house uh, without parents. So mm -hmm. basically, I follow more closely her development is there in terms of education and development. 
Well, that's wonderful. We have proved that economists are not uh, bloodless creatures who don't care about anything except numbers and formulas. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. That's lesson one. Lesson two will be what is macroeconomics? So let's get into that. What is macroeconomics? Um, I would I would start. So uh, macroeconomics is something uh, uh, is aggregated. So it's definitely when we talk about economics, we are talking about production, about prices, and when everything what we produce is aggregated on a on a um, national level or international or regional level, then we get to ma macroeconomics from micro. So basically, we, first we can make this distinction between micro and macro. So micro when in the uh, one individual agent like a company or a person what is producing this is the micro and profit maximization and we go to the macroeconomics which is aggregated because we are uh, looking at the at the common uh, benefits of of a nation i would say and that's why we're really interested in what's going on overall so microeconomics is me or the company that i work for and what we do Macroeconomics is just you add everything up and exactly. you get to make. Ah, okay, all right. So when you add it up, how? What are you measuring? What are some of the measures that macroeconomists are studying? So adding up is as um, we 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 have in the history of of development of uh, economic analysis. And uh, many of us, we say that uh, we start from a classical economies at the 18th uh, century, beginning of 90s, when Adam Smith uh, started with the uh, classical economic approach. So basically, what we do, we try to um, simplify the reality and to somehow describe in order to understand the relationship between different uh, uh, figures and uh, then we start from this uh, uh, invisible hand of economy which we we were referring many times and we say that uh, basically uh, this uh, the, the market has this invisible hand that basically able to to uh, make a good allocation of resources resources because Basically, individuals are, are maximizing their utility, so they are looking for their own benefit to, to live better. And in the same time, the, the companies are looking for their profit maximization. And because of this behavior, and of course, is uh, uh, another fact uh, input that, that definitely, or another condition that should be, there is this rational behavior very much criticized later on, and we can talk uh, later on on that. So, so making that all simpler, it, you're taking all these things that seem to be happening in very many different ways in different places, and you're measuring them with a few different tools. You mentioned GDP. So is that one of the most important things that you're looking at? What are some of the other ones that a macroeconomist would be looking at? So basically, uh, the production and well-being of a nation would be the, the major uh, uh, focus of a, a macroeconomic analysis. But all, of course, all the relationship and prices, and then when we talk about prices, we talk also about inflation and 
uh, then we talk about international finance and international trade. So all these concepts are all together. But the final goal definitely is the is the well-being of the uh, of of the nation and basically not only currently but also in the future. So we have these uh, intergeneration issues like living good now and also in the future. The well-being of a nation is that's measured by GDP, gross domestic Ex- product. Exactly. That's so the, this the is the way one. to one way. Of course, there are different uh, theories uh, related to. Uh, happiness, and there are already new brands uh, looking especially on, on this type of uh, analysis. But overall, yes, we, we can say that uh, we uh, the more we produce, the more uh, goods we have, um, and the more quality uh, brings uh, higher, also higher. Uh, so, so how is this uh, GDP measured? Uh, GDP uh, we can measure uh, from the demand side and from the supply side. And basically, uh, the connection between two is uh, just the point where the market is in equilibrium. So everything which is offered and what is needed it gets to into a point where we have this uh, equilibrium. Uh, so... Uh, when we talk about the demand side, uh, definitely we have different components, and we we uh, we talk about each separately, as it is the consumption, investment, the uh, government uh, consumption or govern government expenditure, and the export minus import, which is actually the trade balance. One of the main ways in which I hear about macroeconomics is actually with government policy, macroeconomic policy. You have all these measures, and then the government figures out how to make them better, how to go up. So as I understand it, there's two ways of doing that. One is monetary policy, and one is fiscal policy. What what are those? What's monetary policy, and what's fiscal policy? Another would be the mix of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. There's always something <laughs> subtle in between. Um, we have these uh, these uh, interventions that can be done in the in the economy, and uh, it's very much related. Uh, um, uh, this topic relate what we talked before related to demand and supply. So uh, we we have to bear in mind that whenever there is an intervention, we are affecting only the demand side. So there is no monetary, no fiscal intervention affecting the supply side of the economy. And this uh, here is actually coming the criticism and the question whether can we or not influence the economy. And of course, this is the base of the uh, schools, economic schools, uh, approaching the, the economic uh, theories. It's, it's because monetary policy uh, can stimulate the demand side, the investment side, and fiscal policy can uh, stimulate the, the government spending side. Both sides, uh, both monetary and fiscal uh, policy is influencing the d- demand. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean uh, through um, 
fiscal fiscal intervention is through taxes, uh, tax cuts, or increase of government expenditure. And as we imagine that formula of demand side GDP, we had there the government expenditure. So of course, once the government expenditure is increasing, the overall GDP should increase. And moreover, there is also a multiplier. So it's not increasing with the, with the same size, but we have a multiplier and it actually is increasing more. And here, let's say the uh, positive side of the intervention is that with a small amount of additional expenditure, we can reach a higher GDP. And this is basically the Keynesian uh, view of intervention. But then we have to definitely go forward and um, ask uh, whether this intervention is bringing the economy in a good direction or not. And then uh, the first answer would be why why is not good because everything higher GDP should be better. But uh, then we approaching more on the uh, classical or neoclassical view when we say yes in the short term we can influence and we can bring it to a higher GDP. But what about supply side? We just intervened on the demand side. We got a short-term equilibrium, but the capacity of the economy is actually fixed based on the available capital, the available labor, and available technology. So just by spending more, which one is influenced? Basically, none of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, the capacity of economy has been the same short on the short term. We are about the capacity, but the this in, invisible hand is brings the the economy back where it's in equilibrium, which is depends only on this factor of production and technology. So the classical was uh, Adam Smith and the invisible hand. How, how does it different differ from the neoclassical? What's what's neoclassical? Um, in the 18th century, so we started with this classical uh, view. Then the Great Depression uh, in the 1930s uh, showed definitely that uh, the economy is uh, not in the equilibrium, and uh, even the uh, expectation to get back to the uh, to the equilibrium was uh, very limited. So. Uh, the possibility to get back to it. So it was uh, uh, somehow a need of a different approach and a different view what we can do if the economy is not in, in the in the equilibrium. Because, and this was the basic criticism against the uh, classical view that uh, market is doing their job, we shouldn't intervene, everything will solve. But the question is, uh, when? So, uh, because if we wait, the economy is is getting back to a color equilibrium by itself. Maybe meanwhile, uh, because of the really high unemployment, uh, uh, low income, so is such a dam- damage happening in in the real life that we don't have time to wait for it. So then it came this strong interventionary approach through monetary, through fiscal policy. And this was this was Keynes. John this Maynard was Keynes, Keynes, exactly. Who had the that was his response to the Great Depression was this book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, which I love just because it's a the general theory. I like super theories of everything. Uh, and what what I've often heard his theory explained is you should take unemployed people and have them dig a hole in the road and then 
afterwards they can fill it back in again. It doesn't matter as long as they're working. That's the important thing. That's very, very simplified, no doubt. But his main idea was that you should get people off unemployment and get them working and get the money circulating. Is that a very simplified but more or less correct idea? Exactly. So basically when the economy is uh, hit by uh, a shock, is is uh, 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 there is a liquidity crunch, there is, is, is something really terrible happening, then stimulus should come uh, in form of uh, stimulating consumption, stimulating uh, uh, expenditure, government expenditure. So everything which is on the demand side basically is pushing the the economy higher, and would be helpful in the in the time when uh, we just faced a strong decline in the output. Which was why in the 1930s in America they were they had all these big public works to get the money spent yeah. to get it out there. What what happened after that though? After Keynes was popular for a few decades, along comes yes. someone with a different idea. Yes. So and then we get to the to the to the time when basically is coming these neoclassical and neo-Keynesian approaches. So basically afterwards uh, still the this neo-Keynesian approach was still uh, um, popular uh, but then economists started to be more let's say first of all mathematical so and then Samuelson it was the for example one of the neo-Keynesian who put it together and made the economic uh, models through a mathematical basis and it was somehow uh, all the economists had a common language to 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 understand the, the logic behind this, all these variables, how it's functioning, and how a monetary policy, how a fiscal policy is affecting the, the economy. But what is interesting is that, uh, for example, the neo-Keynesian approach and, and uh, Samuelson and Modigliani approach, so they came up with this uh, neoclassical synthesis. So basically they are Keynesian, but they are coming with a neoclassical synthesis, putting together already some elements of the classical uh, classical approach as well. Still, they are uh, arguing that um, some kind of uh, intervention uh, like monetary or fiscal uh, is still beneficial for, for a different stage. In the same time, we can talk about a uh, neoclassical approach and also it was uh, uh, and this uh, the neoclassical school it was the chicago school mm-hmm. uh, it uh, where again uh, a brilliant economist uh, focused on the more on the supply side as we said so uh, showing that uh, how uh, the economy is working and they are more able, liberal and they are uh, more in favor of the minimal intervention. But again, uh, all the discussion, very mathematical, empirical-based, and showing on, on uh, different aspects. So the, very, very much like our podcast, very mathematical and <laughs> empirical. But if, we, if you mentioned the Chicago School there, and uh, while this is all going on, there's another very famous economist who comes along in the 1970s, I suppose, and says, you got it all wrong. You're looking at fiscal policy. You should just be looking at monetary policy because nothing matters except money and the money supply. Who's he and what was his influence? Uh, 
Milton Friedman is considered the monetarist uh, approach, which is actually part of Chicago school and is part of, let's say, the neoclassical uh, uh, school. And um, actually, uh, Friedman and Samuelson, they know each other and they were even friends. And it was actually uh, through this debate of different approaching, uh, the, especially on the practical, from the practical point of view, to intervene or not to intervene and how much to intervene. So these two um, uh, great uh, economists uh, contributed on a development of the current view of what uh, 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 macro policy means. But is the current view in, let's say, with the European Central Bank, their focus is on inflation? So does that mean they are just interested in monetary policy? Uh, l let's say we we might we, we might understand through the focus on the on the uh, price stability because these are m many of the uh, central banks in Europe, including the European Central Bank, has its goal uh, on the price stability because they understood. Uh, on the long term, uh, they cannot really influence the the GDP, uh, the production, and this is in in a sense that they somehow uh, agree that the the production side depends on the supply factor, which means uh, um, labor, capital, technology, but in the same time, it's very very important for economy to be in uh, uh, under uh, stable. Uh, economic conditions, which mean also price stability. So price stability is very important as a condition to have a, uh, a important GDP growth. So, but I, st I still don't understand, though. Uh, you said that the, the, the criticism of the Keynesians was that um, it's only possible to, to impact the, the, the demand side. But monetary policy, I mean, interest rate setting, which the central bank does, is part of the monetary policy, and it it st it stimulates or decreases the capital, right? And so that is a supply side factor. So through that, no. It's um, yes. Is uh, the monetary policy has its influence on the economy through the interest rate? So the interest rate um, immediately is impacting the investment. Mm. Because investment is depends on the on the interest rate. Once, uh, uh, for example, if the interest rate is low, is decreased, then investment should increase because the the price the the capital is cheaper, so they are stimulated to to invest more. So it's still stimulating the demand side of the companies. Exactly. So basically, also through the monetary policy, the stimulation is going through uh, demand side. While whenever we, it would be, it should be very clear that the supply side factors are relate whatever what we can stimulate are those structural reforms and structural changes, which is out of the range of the any fiscal or monetary policy. So supply side measures would be like investing in education, for example. Would that help? Educational reform, exactly. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is something that should influence the supply side. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. For an example of how some of what we've just been talking about would work, our listeners could go back and listen to our podcast episode on negative interest rates, I think. Anyway, I'm going to go back and listen to it because it was fantastic. Uh, and Rosalia, this has also been really terrific. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining all about macroeconomics today. I'm a lot wiser than I was <laughs> half an hour ago, uh, or at least I know more about macroeconomics anyway. Uh, to our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, A Dictionary of Finance, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else, and also to our other podcast, Future Europe, which is about the future of Europe. So subscribe to that and get in touch with us. I'm at yeah, I'm I'm not at EIB Matt. No, I'm at EIB Matt. That's, that's taken. You can't have that Twitter handle. So I'll be at Dollar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. Oh, what a good idea. That's a great handle. And we'll see you next week here on A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank.